Hey, everybody. Uh, hey, come here for a second, for Isaac. Let me, uh, before I get into the message, let me kind of share some transitions that are about to take place here at the Livingstones Church. Uh, Isaac here is my oldest son, uh, so I've known him uh, all my life, all of his life, and um, uh, yeah, say look right there. Uh, look at the size of the head on that kid in proportion to, uh, just to, just to, yeah. Oh, a while back, uh, we were in transition and needed a worship leader, and Isaac has stepped in and has served very faithfully in this church, being the director of our worship for quite some time. So very proud of him, very proud of what he's done here uh, in terms of leading our worship and our band and putting all those things together. Uh, but I'm also proud of him because he's just been accepted to the music technology program at IUPUI, so he'll be leaving in the fall to go do that. And I'm very happy for that because my grocery bill is going to go way down as soon as, as soon as that happens. But what that means is that he's going to be around for another month. But what that means is mid-August he is going to leave to go to IUPUI, and uh, we'll have a transition here. And James Walton, Jim Walton, back here, Just wave everybody. Here's Jim. He's the one with the beard. That's how he got hired. Like it was a competition with Isaac and Jim and a beard, and Jim won. So Jim has been hired. Uh, to be our interim worship uh, director, taking over for Isaac. But I just want to acknowledge our transition, say thank you to my son for serve, serving here faithfully and really helping out your dad and the Living Stones Church. <laughs> Thanks, my friend. <clears throat> the second thing I want you to be aware of, and I know we've been talking about it a lot. We've been talking about Ready, Set, School and trying to get ready for that. The last Saturday of July here, we did it last year for the very first time, so this is the second time we've done this. And Angie Metters and the team that is around her have put together just an amazing uh, thing in terms of the Ready, Set, School. In fact, what I want to share with you is what, what got me most excited. And so uh, if there's on the screen here, you can see she showed up to one of our staff meetings. And you know the big, large poster post-its that you kind of slap on the wall? She brought in a bunch of those. And she's just trying to lay out, so here's what's going to happen. Here's what will be in the front yard. And then when you move to the back parking lot, here's what's going to be here. And then over here is going to be here. When you move inside, it's going to be here. And she just started listing what her and her team had put together in terms of how many uh, partnerships with our community. And so what the point of the Ready, Set, School is, is uh, for kids who are going to Monroe or to Jackson or to Riley or who just live here on the south side, they are invited to this Saturday to have all sorts of things in regards to preparation for school. Now, for those of you who are teachers, don't let that make your heart pitter-patter. You are weeks away from school, so you're still good in terms of like that. But as she's going through the list, I was just overwhelmed. So I just want to read this to you, and I can do this fairly uh, fast, so don't, you don't have to pay attention to every like, last thing, but just I want you to feel the weight of, oh my goodness, there's a lot of things going down on that particular Saturday. So when you drive up, in the front yard will be bounce houses and human Velcro, and the Potawatomi Zoo is going to be here. And you know those two lions that they have at the Port Zoo? They're going to bring them here in the front yard. I'm just kidding. They're not bringing I mean, I'm not kidding. Potawatomi Zoo is actually going to be here. I don't think they're bringing the lions. I don't know what they're going to bring. I'm hoping they bring like that poison dart frog and they let me borrow it. And I just hide it in the, in the staff offices for a little bit while I'll see how that works. There'll be face painting and yard games. And then when you pull in, listen to all the things that are going to be here, the organizations that are going to be here. Uh, we'll have clubs and organizations for kids, like for after school, if that's a need for families here in the, on the south side. So Riley Robotics will be here, Girl Scouts, Southside Little League, Riley Color Guard, Sea Cadets, Creative Dancing, Southhold Dance, Legacy Martial Arts, the Bowman Creek Project, Prairie Winds Farms. In fact, they're going to bring some farm animals. And uh, somebody will clean up after that, I'm sure. Um, South Bend Swin Club, the United Youth Theater, and a whole lot more for people in high school opportunities, post-high school opportunities. 
or high school related opportunities, IUSB is going to be here, Vogue Beauty College, the Plumbers Union, Ivy Tech, Youth Service Bureau, Excel Center, and more in terms of just health and wellness for families. HealthLink is going to be here, Dr. Angie's, and that's not Dr. R. Angie, where I'm going to pull a tooth. <laughs> we don't trust Angie for pulling a tooth, but Dr. Angie's Dental will be here. Insurance entity, entities to help families navigate the marketplace and Medicaid, Smoke-Free St. Joe Coalition, Real Services are going to be here, and then a bunch of other awesome stuff like Better World Books. They're actually going to bring their, bo uh, their bookmobile and they're going to hand out books to the kids. The library is showing up so they can give kids library cards if they don't have one. There's going to be a free fruit giveaway from Martin's Supermarket. Kona Ice is going to be here. There will be carnival games. A DJ is going to be here. Food will be here. And this even live performances throughout the day on a stage. The dance teams from many different groups. The national champion freestyle dancer will be here. Riley Color Guard and Cheer. The stage theater from UIT and a whole lot more. And when you get to the back parking lot area... Uh, for pre-kindergartners, Head Start will be here, and All My Way Pre-K will be here. For school resources, free reduced lunch program for the Sub and School Corporation is going to be here. Riverbend Mass Center, Michiana Hub, the Fire Safety House, Smoke Alarm and Carbon Monoxide Alarm Program, inflatables, and lots of them. And if you come inside the building, there's free haircuts, vision screenings, and pictures for seniors uh, are going on inside. So do you hear all that? So like, that is just a ton of stuff. And so I'm very proud of Angie and their team for what they're doing. And I just want you to know, you should be excited too. And look in the bulletin, it will tell you exactly how you could be a part of it, to volunteer that day, to help donate things, those sorts of things. So just be aware of that. It's, it's a fantastic thing, the last Saturday of the month. And the last thing is tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., over 20 of our high school kids from Seismic are going to get in three vans with three adult drivers and head on down to Georgia for a week of camp. So just keep them in your prayers for safety and that God encounters them and meets them in that place. So just be aware of those sorts of things. Whew, that was like a sermon itself, wasn't it? <laughs> But I've got more. Okay, uh, let me read a few passages to you, and then we'll kind of dive right into it. I kind of want you to know what you've signed up for when you say that I'm a disciple of Jesus, that I'm a follower of Christ. Like, what do we mean by that? What do you mean by that? Let me kind of help us get a little bit of insight in terms of what it used to look like in the first century and what I think that probably looks like here in the 21st century. Let me begin with Mark chapter 1, verse 16 says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. If you turn the page in the scriptures to Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he just began to teach them. But as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him, a tax collector, follow me. And Levi, also known as Matthew, got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Now, in our day and age, when we talk about education or our educational system, what you typically think of is one teacher standing at the front of the room and maybe like 25 desks of little students who are there, and it's kind of a download of information. Unfortunately for Indiana, that information is typically uh, is going along with the standardized I-STEP test, which I have two or three other sermons and things I like to say about that. I won't this morning, just to spare you my opinion on those things. But it's kind of an information download from one teacher to all the students. But that wasn't the way it was in the first century, especially in Galilee among the Jewish community. Schools were typically associated with a local synagogue. And apparently each community would then hire a teacher that they would call a rabbi to serve for that school. And so if you were a child growing up, children began studying at about age four or five. By the way, this, if I had a rabbi, I wanted to look like this. Like I need the big long beard. I want like old, like that's what I want for my rabbi. Children began study at ages four and five in what was called Beth Sefer. It's kind of like, think of it like an elementary school. That's kind of the introduction. It's centered around scripture. They learned the Torah. And when I say the word Torah, what I mean is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There would be reading and writing with lots of memorization. But this level of education, the Beth Sefer, for most was the end of the road. Especially for girls, you didn't get to go on. But even for most boys, they would begin to intensely learn the family trade. So what that means is, like, nowadays we say to our kids, you can be anything that you want. Like, but you wouldn't say the first century. Like, you, you know what you would do? What your dad does. And you know why your dad does it? Because that's what grandpa did. Like, it's a, a family trade that you learn. So we know from Jesus, he was a carpenter. Why? Not because he grew up and thought, oh, I'd like to be a carpenter. He was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. That was the family trade. See, nowadays, we're like, you could be anything you want. And I'm just saying, listen, if your kid's 5'2 and was born without arms, they're not going to be in the NBA, and you should tell them that now. Like, that's just something you should say now. <laughs> negative, is that too negative? Yeah. At this point, a boy would participate in his first Passover in Jerusalem, which was a ceremony that kind of looks like it's the, pre, uh, uh, the background for what today we see as bar mitzvahs. In fact, I got some Facebook friends, some good Jewish friends who uh, were able to afford sending their family to Jerusalem to have a bar mitzvah for their kids. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And they did invite me and it hurt my feelings, but I'm going to move on about that. Uh, now, after the Beth Safer, like the best students, like the honor roll students, would continue their education while still learning a trade in what's called the Beth Midrash. This is sort of like secondary school also taught by that rabbi in the community. This, too, would center around Scripture, studying the prophets and now the writings. They would learn the interpretation of the oral traditions of the Torah, and they would learn to make their own applications and interpretations of those teachings, but memorization was still the heart of learning. And then a very few, I'm talking like, here's the top ten in your class, very few of the most outstanding Beth Midrash students would seek permission to study with a famous rabbi meaning they would often leave their homes to travel with that rabbi for a lengthy period of time. These students were called the Talmudim, which is Hebrew for the disciples. So if you didn't want to carry on the family trade, like how did you get out? You could get out by being a Talmudim, to be a disciple, which meant you had such hope and promise that it looked like you could be a rabbi. And what good Jewish family did not want their son to grow up and maybe be a rabbi one day? Now, in Jesus' world, both Jewish and Greek, there were a host of religious leaders and philosophical leaders and political leaders. And these leaders had followers who were committed to their cause. They were committed to their teachings. They were committed to their beliefs. And in the Greek, we call it the mathetes. 
It's the Greek word for disciple. Socrates had methetes. Pythagoras had methetes. Epicurus, other, other Greek philosophers. Disciples, though, not like classroom today, they weren't just interested in gaining head knowledge from the teacher, like we kind of understand it today. No, they were trying to figure out how to be just like their master in every way of life. And that happened through continual observation, adherence to their way of life, imitation of even the smallest details, immersing themselves in their worldview, their beliefs, their values, their speech, their behavior. That's why Jesus will say in Matthew 10, 24, a student is not above his teacher, nor servant above his master. Now, in Jesus' day, there were many rabbis who were teachers of the law and scribes. And their main task was to pass on accepted rabbinic tradition and to explain the way of Torah. They were knowledgeable of scripture and oral tradition, and they passed that on. But among them, even, there were some who were considered super rabbis. Like, they were the rock stars of rabbis. Like, when kids bought the bubblegum baseball cards, it was pictures of rabbis, and they would trade those cards, and that's kind of how it worked. Those super rabbis, not only did they pass on accepted rabbinic tradition and explain the way of Torah, but they actually had the authority to actually make new interpretations. And so maybe you've heard of names like Gamaliel is listed in the New Testament, or Hillel, or Shammai. These would be the rock star super rabbis of the first century. And here you have Jesus of Nazareth. He comes along, and you might notice in the Gospel of Matthew... When he's teaching, he says things that are kind of, whoa. In fact, Matthew 7, verse 28, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, referring to the whole Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And here's why. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. What that means is he taught as if he was a super rabbi. Like that he had the authority to actually give new interpretations, which is exactly what he, what he does. Remember when Jesus says things like this, you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you, like no rabbi does that. Like only a super rabbi might be able to get up and have enough authority to say, I know that you've heard it said and quote from the Old Testament and then say, but I say to you. And here comes Jesus doing that very thing. And so it led to all sorts of questions as, who does this dude think that he is? Like, it's sort of the height of presumption. Matthew chapter 123 says this, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief, chief priests and the elders of the people came to him to ask this question. Hey, listen, who do you think you are? How they asked it was, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? And what happens is the other Jewish leaders and rabbis, they're always trying to get a handle on Jesus and figure out what rabbinic tradition are you coming from? And what authority do you have to say these sorts of things? So you'll see several stories and examples in the gospel. Like in Matthew chapter 18, there's this heated debate going on about divorce. And they come to Jesus and they want to know his opinion on divorce. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? As it, and so what's happening, the background that is, the rabbis are already having debates about Deuteronomy 24 and whether it's okay for a husband to divorce his wife for any reason or does that have to be a specific reason? And what happens is within that time, the school of Shammai, who was a great super rabbi, he taught it could only be if the spouse is unfaithful, then you could divorce them. But Hillel, another super, super rabbi, said, no, listen, it's not clear. And so the husband has permission to divorce his wife for almost any, like if she burned the toast that many times in the morning, you could just say, that's it, I'm out. 
right? That's, that was the school of Hillel. And they come to Jesus to want to know, where do you stand on this hot-button topic? Where are you at on this? And as a side note, Jesus actually does side with Shammai saying, uh, no, it can only be for unfaithfulness. But then he transcends both rabbis, taking his listeners back to Genesis 1 and 2 and saying, listen, I know in Deuteronomy 24, Moses allowed for this, but that wasn't the case from the beginning. This is what God intended. Or you remember that story in the Gospels where um, they come up to Jesus and they ask a question about paying taxes to Caesar, like, is that okay or not? Like, that, one, that didn't come out of nowhere. That's a heated debate going on among the, the rabbis in the Jewish community on what is our relationship to Caesar and to the Roman Empire? Are we for them? Are we against them? Do we pay taxes? Do we not pay taxes? So when they come to Jesus, they're trying to figure out, where are you on this political debate? Should we pay taxes? You remember what Jesus says, right? Let me see a coin. Whose inscription's on that? Well, Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And give to God what's God. It's brilliant. But anyhow, that's, that's right. Or when that woman was caught in adultery, and the law clearly says we can stone her, right? Law and order candidate. We could stone her to death. And they come to Jesus, and they want to know, where are you at on this? Like, are you going to be, like, legalistic? You're real literal in the interpretation? And what does Jesus say? Hey, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone. I mean, it's just brilliant in his responses. And so what happens is what, was, what, what those rabbis, like what each individual rabbi would teach would be called a yoke. It was a yoke. It would be called the yoke of the Torah or the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. And rabbis with authority would have a new interpretation or a yoke. And so as you're looking at these oxen, what the yoke is is that wooden bar that's across it. And you'd put it on your ox when you're plowing your fields to make sure they stayed together and one didn't go off or the other directions, which it's hard to plant crops when it looks like that. It's just not pretty when you're driving by. Like I just, that's what I'm saying. But it'd be a, take a rabbi's yoke would be his interpretation of the teachings. That's why in Matthew 11, verse 28, remember what Jesus says to me? Says, says, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Like it's, he's calling you into that discipleship relationship. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so when Jesus enters our text calling disciples to himself, as the passages we just read at the very beginning, that's the backdrop of it. He is claiming for himself authority as a rabbi, and thus calling disciples to himself. And there's some unique aspects of calling of the disciples. One is that Jesus actually goes after his disciples. While that wasn't unheard of, occasionally if you had a really bright student that everybody wanted to be kind of on their rabbinic team, you might go after that, but it was rare. Jesus actually handpicks his first disciples, and we're amazed as we read the Gospels that the disciples that he picks just immediately respond to Jesus. They drop everything, leave dad in the boat, see you later, we're following after Jesus. Other unique aspects of Jesus' calling was uh, even women were accepted to be disciples. And so what you always have around Jesus are, are two main groups. You kind of have the, the disciples, those who've committed to Jesus, and you got the crowds. And when it comes to the, the disciples, those who obeyed Jesus' call to follow him, they were learning from the master. And um, this is sexy Jesus back here. Um, I have a nickname for every Jesus in all the movies. Like there's depressed Jesus. He's actually my favorite. Depressed Jesus, too happy Jesus, right? Way too white Jesus. This is sexy Jesus behind me right here. They were, they, were, they were learning from the master. They were learning his ways, his life, his values, his conduct, his teaching. You got a picture kind of like a, um, you remember uh, the Karate Kid movie? The good one, not the recent one. I mean the, the, old, the old one. This is how you know you're getting old, right? They do remakes of movies and songs. You're like, nope, 
Like, you're just offended. Like, nope, the first one's the best. That's why. Like, so you remember in the movie where, you know, uh, Daniel's son is with Mr. Miyagi? And he says, I need you to paint this fence. He spends all day painting this fence, painting this fence. And like, okay, now I need you to sand the deck, sand on the deck. And now I need you to wax the cars. And finally, he's had enough. He's just like, you're just making me do chores. Like, you're just too lazy. <laughs> you got work. Like, none of this has to do with karate. And finally, there's this climactic moment where Mr. Miyagi actually shows Danielson that everything he's had him do in terms of the fence. And that, remember that scene? He throws a punch, wax on, right? Like, next you know, it's like, and so, I mean, just, you should go home and watch it because it's a great movie. Uh, but so I need to show this next picture. Just, don't you feel that deep when you see that? Don't you, right? You feel it, don't you? I do too. And I had to recover, so I put this picture up too. Like, like it's just, okay, just give me a minute. Some disciples literally followed Jesus everywhere. Like we know his apostles did, but even beyond the apostles, like his, they followed him everywhere. Watched everything that he did, watched him talk to people, how he treated people, the miracles he did, how he ate. They learned everything. Others were still followers, but more in a figurative way in that they accepted his teachings on the kingdom of God. Like Joseph Arimathea is a name that's mentioned who probably was not a follower of Jesus everywhere he went. But he identified himself as, I am a disciple of Jesus, meaning the way that he teaches about the kingdom of God, that's what I'm for. And the next to the disciples, you had crowds. And the crowds were basically a neutral group who were the object of Jesus' ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. But as a group, they don't necessarily exercise faith in him. They were a curious group, oftentimes benefiting when Jesus would be compassionate, but were not actually attached in any serious way to Jesus. And they could be kind of fickle. The crowds could. Like, at one moment, Jesus could be marching into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey, and the crowds could be like, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise, right? And then three days later, they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. What Jesus' objective was among the crowd was to move them to discipleship. And he was incredibly open and inclusive to accepting disciples. And as he taught and preached to them, often individuals were moved to faith and began to serve Jesus as Lord. And the sign of that faith was their departure from the crowd and now to confess Jesus as their Lord. But those who follow Jesus are always thought of as chosen. It's an open invitation, and the ones who receive it do so because God has chosen them. That's why Jesus will say in, in John 4, 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And this is what's happening to you, like right now. Like God the Father is drawing you to himself. While so you, I mean, even in mysterious ways that I can't explain, even in ways that right now you don't even see that like years ago, you go, oh, like this was, he was at work in my life and this sort of, it's anytime your heart moves towards God, whether it be through maybe some life circumstance you're walking through right now, or maybe the timed invitation from a friend at just that right moment, it, whenever your heart is searching for God, I just want you to know that was initiated by God. You were chosen. And I love to be chosen. Don't you? Like when you go to a restaurant and it's like packed, like the whole lobby is just packed full of people. So you got to put your name down and they give you that little thing that buzzes and lights off. And you're like, 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 as soon as they say this, like, Sam, party of five, your table's ready. I'm just like sitting down. I want to go. <laughs> right? Walk by everybody else, flashing light. What just happened? I just got chosen. And you guys did not. Now, for some, this was traumatic, but you remember when you were in like elementary school and you had two captains that are picking teams? Like, what'd you want to happen next? To be chosen, right? Whew, I'm not the last kid. That's all else you're hoping for. I'm in the process of trying to convince Publishers Clearinghouse or the Powerball Lottery that I should be chosen. Like, that's what I'm in the process of doing here. But how would you feel if the God of the universe 
look down and pick you. Like the God who knows your name, who knows every hair on your head, which is less challenging for some of us than others of you. <laughs> the God who knows your deepest thoughts, your greatest fears, your biggest struggles, and still says, him, right there. I want him or her right there. I want her. <laughs> Forget Outback. Like, I'm talking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God who parted the Red Sea, the ten plagues, the one that was able to make the sun stand still, that God, that one, looking down from heaven to say to his son by the power of his spirit, that one right there in the red shirt, I've chosen her. And so this is the language that you get in Scripture. Let me just kind of read, just let, just let it kind of impact you if you would. Just let me read some of these passages. John 15, 19 says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. And here's why. Because I have chosen you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. Or Ephesians 1, 11, In him we were what? Chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Colossians 3, 3 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Or 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. This is a good one. Listen to this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, bunch of living stoners, what are you? What are you? Chosen. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And sometimes in the, in the, uh, when we think about God choosing us, like handpicking us to be on his team, there's something in each one of us, I think, that wants to disqualify that. Like, well, I don't have it all together. Like, I'm too sinful. And there's always something that comes to mind, like, I still, I'm struggling with this. I've still not been able to overcome this. There's no way that God would be calling me. I don't know enough about the Bible. I have this divorce. I went to prison. I, I'm just a simple dude. I don't have a college degree. I'm not very educated. And this is the beauty of Jesus' call. Who does he extend it to? Like, when we read the gospel, who does he pick? He does not pick the academic geniuses that every rabbi would want to just slobber all over to get on their team. He goes to the fishermen. Nobody picks the fishermen. He extends it to what the world would call uneducated, simpletons, or unwise. Even Paul will note this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He'll say, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Like, this is like, if you're looking for self-esteem, this isn't quite the passage to go to. It's like, did Paul just call me an idiot? Like, you weren't very wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Did he call me a fool? I think he did. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And so, like sometimes, you ever, you ever feel like a knot? Like, you ever feel like you're just a nobody? 
that you're not particularly brilliant by graduate school standards? Do you, do you sometimes feel like, I don't have any influence, like, I can't even get my own kids to do something? That you don't come from a great family tree, you feel foolish at times or weak at times, sometimes despised. Here's the good news. You're perfect. <laughs> like, you're exactly what Jesus is looking for. And listen, this is because Jesus is not interested in just your personal little spiritual journey with him. This is not like, hey, I pick you, so you go, oh, warm fuzzies about Jesus. That's not what this is about. Like, he picks you because he's interested in changing the world, turning it upside down, becoming a revolutionary. And in that, he sees into this band of fishermen, and he knows they're perfect. And he sees into you, living stoners, and knows when it comes to his, revelation, his, his revolution here on the earth to turn it upside down for his kingdom, you're perfect. So here's what happens. Let me close with this. In Mark 3, verse 13 and 15, it says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So he appointed 12, designating them apostles. And highlight this in your Bible. This is what you should highlight that they might be what? With him. You got to let that sink in and resonate. Like when he chooses you, what's the very first thing he wants of you? Just be with him. And he's going to send you out eventually to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. But our very first task, like his first disciples, is just to be with him. And that's why they follow him everywhere he goes, to learn exactly. Like, I, I guarantee you, like, when Jesus uh, dies and is resurrected and ascends up to, the, up to heaven, I bet those disciples and apostles who followed him everywhere for those three years knew him so well that they could predict what he would have done. Like, if a situation happens, I bet they could, And you could do this, too. So have you ever, uh, either watching a movie or a series on a, in a TV show or reading a book, became so familiar with the character in the story that you begin to know, I think that this is what they do next. Like, there's, like you start to know their, the character of their personality and the tone of their voice. You got to know them really well. And this even happens relationally with us. Like, if my wife were to call the office here and I couldn't get it and somebody came and gave me a message, said, well, Kelly called and she said, you better get home right now. You better bring this home. Like, like if that was kind of, I, I'd go... That didn't even sound like Kelly. Like, there's nothing in that tone of voice that sounds like her. Nothing, like, I would just think, I don't think, that's, I don't think that's really my wife. Like, they were with Jesus enough where they knew the tone of his voice and the quality of his voice and his mannerisms and his heart and his demeanor and how he treated people. You just wouldn't be, you, you just wouldn't be convinced by a counterfeit. And the very first thing that we do is we spend time with him. So let me say this. If you're a disciple of Jesus, but you can't, you can't even remember the last time you've actually read any of the words of Jesus, that'll be a problem. <laughs> Like, it's hard to be a real disciple of somebody if you truly do not spend time immersing yourselves just in, here's what he said, here's what Jesus taught, here's what Jesus said in terms of how we should think and how we should act, and that's important. Unfortunately, we have a handbook that we call the Bible that has four books in it called the Gospels that lay out for us. Here are the teachings of Jesus, and it has been the handbook of the church for 2,000 years to inform us how it is that we can look like Jesus. But I've got better news for you. You know what else we get besides just the Bible, which is good news, but you know what else we get? We get the Spirit. And this is what Jesus himself says in John 14, verse 26. The counselor or the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And here's what I'd say. With the Spirit that dwells, like you should just be talking to the Spirit in your life, like just all the things that are going on in your life during the week. And so during the day, like if your bosses start yelling at you, you just start going, oh, Spirit. <laughs> I need you to help guide my mouth in terms of what comes out next. And like, like, so it's kind of, 
Because we're not, we don't instinctively do this. We're not good at that. Like if somebody cuts you off on Miami Street, coming down Miami Street, and then they act like it was your problem, they flip you off, like your first instinctive response will probably not be, oh, just bless them with all sorts of good things and we love them. Like, right? I mean, I've been following Jesus for years and that's not my instinctive. My instinctive response is, oh, no, you didn't. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like that's just kind of... But if we could train ourselves to like in that moment start like talking to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, <laughs> I'm going to need you to help me right here. Like right here, I need some help because I got to react and respond to this and I want to do this like Jesus would. So I need you to remind me what Jesus said and did and remind me how Jesus would respond to this moment and give me the power that I need to respond like that because it's not natural. It comes from the Spirit. Thus, it's supernatural. Or when your teenager's smart off, you know what I'm saying, right? And you're thinking, I'm going to kill you right now. Like it's... You start talking to the Spirit, like, and like, how am I going to respond to this as a good father or a good mother? How would Jesus respond to this situation? Or when you get the overdraft letter <laughs> confirming you have no money, like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> like, come on, Spirit. Like, that's what you're, that's what you're doing. But it isn't just so you can have that warm, fuzzy moment. It's so you can go then where Jesus would go. And so if that is into your workplace, you go in the workplace representing Jesus. If it's just in your neighborhood, you go into your neighborhood representing Jesus and like Jesus, whether it's in the synagogue, among sinners, to the crowds, in Jerusalem, you carry with you the heartbeat of Jesus. Because you've been called by Jesus. You, you've been chosen by Jesus. And no, there's a cost to that. And Jesus is clear with that too. Right? I mean, he, there's a cost to following me. And he'll even say at the end of it, listen, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But for us, trying to figure out, what does it mean to actually say we're disciples of Jesus? It's this. Go be with him and let the Holy Spirit empower you to look and to instinctively respond just like him, that it might transform the world. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks that you have chosen us and called us, and we recognize it wasn't because we were so bright or amazing or talented or good-looking or really had anything to offer you. That was out of your grace and your mercy. You said, I pick him and I pick her, and we get to be with your son, Jesus. And so we receive that nose by your grace, and we just say thank you for all that that means. But what we ask, Lord, is just that you would empower us not only to understand your word, and especially those red letters that are in our Bible that are teaching us what your son said and what he did, but also uh, that you've given us your spirit. And so we ask that by that spirit, you would inform us all the time to remind us of the teachings of Jesus, to give us the encouragement and power we need to know how Jesus would respond in this specific moment that we might look like him and glorify him and thus lift you up. This is what we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.